the book of Job will be in that book uh, this afternoon or early this afternoon, maybe later this afternoon, depend on how things go. I got a lot to, to, to go through. Uh, I spent some time this morning editing out some things just to, uh, well, if you've ever preached, you know there's rabbit trails and all sorts of fun things to go, go down and through, so... Anyway, I'd like to welcome everybody back from family camp, and I know some of you were not able to make it to camp this year. So what I'm going to do is give you a rundown, provide a review for those who were there, okay, and also provide a springboard for today's message from God. Our camp text was 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory now and forever. Amen. We talked about what growing in grace was, and this, this message is going to fit really good with Sunday school. That it's moving forward in a positive direction, simply due wholly to God's goodness and love for us. That it is the what people call the unmerited favor of God, that He leads us to where we could not go on our own. To be led, first of all, to the place whereby we can attain salvation. And also through the indwelling Spirit of God, we are guided to a life purpose, fulfillment, and joy here that we could never find on our own. Totally impossible. That is what growing in grace is. You might call it, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To grow in knowledge is the discovery process of knowing God, His character, and His very being. To see Him in all facets of this life and the world around us, to be captivated by His greatness. The end of this verse is the sum of growing in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The sum or conclusion is this, that our hearts grow in giving glory to Him. That He becomes bigger and better than He ever was to us before. 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him, to Him, be glory both now and forever. Amen. We are growing when He is growing in us. To know Him better, we must know and understand His Word better. God's Word could be compared to a puzzle. Some of the things we did at camp. Multiple pieces of smaller designs connecting perfectly in shape, color, and pattern to form one simple perfect image. We should consider the following scriptures. Now I beseech you, brethren, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together and in the same mind and in the same judgment. Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint... <laughs> Supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. 
sounds much like a perfectly fit together puzzle to me. We used a puzzle to help us understand the Bible. I used the term simply, <clears throat> which I've heard this from another pastor, simply complex. That like a jigsaw puzzle, you start with the corners and the edges, don't you? They're very straightforward. This would be like the doctrine of salvation, the, gospel, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. But even putting the edges together, it takes some work. Because when the whole puzzle is dumped out, there's quite a bit sorting through and finding all the edges in there. But that's the simplest part. Then usually you work in areas of common patterns and colors, perfectly matching the pieces together, and eventually connecting large patterns to other large patterns until the puzzle is completely filled in. But I found perhaps a more fitting puzzle to describe the Bible. It is what I called scramble squares. All right. Now, I'm going to... The readers did not get one of these. I want you to pick one. This is for your family. Okay. And you're the lucky visitor today. You get one as well for your family, so pitch... Pick which one you like. All right. So, puzzle squares. Nine pieces. All square with straight edges. Very distinct and minimal patterns and colors. Super simplistic, right? But it's complex. I read that it has some 90 billion <laughs> possible combinations. And when you do it, you'll kind of figure that out. I gave the assignment for each family to work on their puzzle squares and to report back to the group how long it took them to solve it. And of course, I did not mention the 90 billion possibilities. I kind of let it out like, yeah, you just time how long it'll take you to get done. You know, like set your little clock there. The next morning, I asked the group how they did with the puzzle. I received various comments like, it can't be done. You gave us an impossible puzzle to solve. We got it all together, but one piece. And in the case of Katie and Andy, who worked their tails off at camp, and thank you for that, they didn't have time to work on it. Many times people mirror the same thoughts concerning the Bible. Just don't have the time to study it. 2 Timothy 2.15, we, we mentioned this verse, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Or it's just impossible to understand the Bible, some people. You know, if the person who says this is not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. They are right. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are, foolish, they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Matthew 19.26, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. But with those who are truly saved, who abides in them? John 14, 7, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. We have God in us if we are saved. We have the key to understanding 
the Bible. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 1 Corinthians 3.16, Romans 8.11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Man, that, those are some exciting verses. John 16.13, Howbeit when the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth. It's impossible to know the Bible as an unsaved person. It is entirely capable to know the Bible for those who are saved. Or there was another comment, and I'm going to use Katie as an example. <laughs> Some people, like Katie, sends me a picture of their finished puzzle with the funniest-looking moose in the middle of it. For those who haven't done the puzzle, you'll figure that out. You can get it all, but there's... One part that's it's not exactly right. And you know what? There's a lot of people who are putting the Word of God together, getting a lot of these pieces. When you put that together, think about that. They've got this together, this together, but the whole thing doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit. You've got to understand the whole of the Bible. One thing I want you to know for sure when you try putting that puzzle together or when you are studying your Bible, it does fit together perfectly. It might be hard on our end. It might take some work. We serve a perfect God. And by the way, the Utsi family did get their puzzle together legitimately on their own. Was it just the kids that did it? Or was you help? Was the adults helping in that? Okay. They got it together. It can be done. All right. So there you go. Now, I say they legitimately did it because I put our family puzzle together, but I did it in what might be called a cheating way. I looked on the Internet and found the completed puzzle because really what I wanted to see is if I could look at that whole picture like you do a puzzle and then put it together, how quick could I did it? Five minutes. I was done. Did you know that God gives help to put the puzzle of his word together, Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. These are some of the verses we talked about at camp, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, making increase of the body under the edifying of itself, in love. Boy, that's a puzzle God's putting together for us. This was another thing we learned at camp is the study of the Bible as a whole. Looking at it as a whole, like looking at the whole picture. Using the principle of seeing the whole puzzle so that you can work properly in the details of the picture. To see the Bible from the beginning to end like unto a single lifespan, growing into, in stages as unto the likeness of the life of a man. And that's what I've written up here. Now we got into a lot more details about this, but 
There's a fancy word called dispensations for this. But I gave you something that you can very well understand and see. You look at a life of a person, and then you line it up with these periods. Uncanny how God puts things together and helps us to understand things that are very hard to, to understand. This morning I want to look truly at a truly amazing man in the Bible named Job. More particularly, how he grew in grace and knowledge of God through his experience. And I'm going to entitle the message, Make No Mistake About It. Make no mistake about it. Let's pray. Father, as we learn about Job, Lord God, open our hearts and our lives. Break us open to see what we need to see today through the preaching of your word. May the Holy Spirit dig in our hearts and enlighten us and show us things, wonderful things. Show us you today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, let us put Job in the context of time. He's believed to have lived in that time, being in the time of the patriarchs here. Okay? And there's a reason for that. It really doesn't say in the book of Job, there's, not like other books, it doesn't really particularly just place itself in time like other books. But, number one, there's some good evidence. Number one, Job 42.16, After this lived Job in 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. Job had a long lifespan, such as would have been at the time of the patriarchs. Number two, Job acted as the high priest in his family with no mention of Israel or any other priesthood, which gives evidence of a time before Moses and the law. It says in Job 1.4, And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it, and it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning and offered, what does it say, burnt offerings, according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. The first thing that Moses did when he got out of the ark was what? He offered burnt offerings unto God. Abraham offered up his son Isaac, you read, as a burnt offering. Even Isaac seemed to understand what that was because he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? It just kind of falls in that line. Number one, he fits in the patriarchal time because of his lifespan and because of the priestly order. And also, if you look at Eliphaz, one of Job's friends, if this is the same Eliphaz that was Esau's son, it would seem that Job would be contemporary with Jacob. So that's why it's kind of looked at as in that time. And it's kind of important to understand some of the things and some of the ways they were thinking. Anyway, if we match this time period with human age period, there is a certain characteristic of that age that really stands out. I would call it, it's not fair syndrome. And those of you who have children in this age, you're going to find out this. 
It's the age when children say, she got one, but I didn't. Why does he get to go? He didn't get an A in school like I did. It can even get past the superficial to deep emotional stress like the older brother of the prodigal son questioning his father's handling of the situation and concern of his father's love for him. It seems through these ages we might first hear the words of a child to a parent. And it's tough when you hear this. You don't love me. It is the age when you see a child decide he is going to pack his bags and leave home with an apple, a few clothes, and his ball glove. There comes a time in our lives where our growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord becomes stunted. We have stunted growth. It's quite a common problem with us, and Job had this problem. But he didn't know it until God laid it on him hard. Pride was his issue, and it stopped him. Pride prevented Job from growing in his heart and life, he had reached a plateau. God could have used anybody as an example of pride and the need of repentance, but why did he choose Job? I believe Job was probably the best man that ever walked the face of this earth besides Jesus Christ, and by far. For one, the very first describe first verse describes Job. There was a man in the land of Uz, wherever that is, I don't know if they found that yet, whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And God said this of Job in Job 1.8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. He said, there's none like him in the earth, this guy. But let's look at what Job said about himself. And I don't think from a human standpoint that we can argue what he said is not true. You will not see God argue Job of his personal integrity. In the New Testament, there was a rich young ruler who came bowing at Jesus' feet, asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, it said he loved him. And he said, keep the commandments. The young man claimed that he did this from his youth, and what else did he lack? Jesus never argued with him over that. I think humanly speaking, that was a good man. Maybe perhaps the best man of his day like Job. He simply told him to do something to do that would reveal whether he would completely trust him. Jesus would tell him to give everything to the poor and follow him. Now he was rich. It said he went away sad, not willing to give Christ his all. I'll tell you what, salvation, folks, is when you give it, you fall down, and you give it everything. Give him everything whether it makes sense or not. Basically, the young man did not believe. If you think about it, if Jesus is God, He comes to Jesus. If He is God, He can make no mistake. And if God, He made you and knows what you were made for, 
and will take you there. If Jesus is God, then you can trust Him in whatever He tells you to do, even if it means giving everything you have to the poor. The man lacked belief. By the way, the father of disbelief, Satan. Think about this with Job. Satan goes to God and wants Job and says he's going to tear him apart. God says, no, not Job. If you really believe God, he should have stopped right there. The devil has done nothing but think that he can prove God wrong on something or something, and foolishly, he goes about his thing. God knew. He's not going to. He's not going to do it. He's not going to curse me. He's the father. Satan is a father of disbelief. But God brought Job to the same precipice. Job, because of his pride, would stunt his growth and put a limit on the amount of glory he could feel and give to God. He just he reached a limit. God wasn't going to let him stay there. You don't want to stay there. Turn to, Job, turn to chapter 29 of Job. Let's, let's listen to the kind of man Job was. Job chapter 29, beginning in verse 1, it says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in the months past, as in the days when God preserved me. He knew God. There's no doubt about it. He knew that it was God that works in him. When his candle shined upon my head and when his light I walked through darkness as I was in the days of my youth when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil. Very poetic book, Job. No doubt Job knew God quite well. That he had a wonderful relationship with God. He was a believer. He knew how God was to him, but the key word is was. He used the words of the past, not of the present here. Without directly saying it, he was indicating that God was not good to him now. Brother Mike warned us about some of these things this morning. Verse 7 and 8, When I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, the young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. People reverenced Job. He was highly revered. The princes refrained talking, verse 9, and laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. Not only did Job have the reverence of the common people, he had the reverence of the noble crowd. When he heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. You read your Bible about the fatherless, the widows, the poor. <laughs> Job took care of the poor. He made sure they were taken care of. He realized that he was a source, that, that this was a source of the blessing to him. Verse 13, the blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. He not only took care of the physical part of those, now think about this as a person. He not only took care of the physical part, he ministered to the heart of people. This was quite an amazing man. 
He says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And the cause which I knew not, I searched out. You could turn to Job for anything, this, this guy. And he would provide. And he did not, and if he did not have an answer, he went and searched it to find it that he might provide. Verse 17, I break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. Job would not allow wickedness in his kingdom. He acted justly and he held that it had to be the least crime ever in an area because how he stood. Then I said, I shall die in my nest. I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root was spread out by the waters and the dew lay all night upon my branch. My glory was fresh in me and my bow was renewed in my hand. Unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. After my words they spake not again, and my speech dropped unto them, upon them, and they waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not, and the light of my countenance they cast not down. People desired to be around Job. They listened to him for wisdom, and they enjoyed his company. Verse 25, I chose out their way and sat chief and dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforteth the mourners. Job was a leader. A trusted, respected leader. <laughs> when you think about the great generals and the people that would get by, this is, this is what he was like. This guy we would... This is the guy we would want for president in our country, folks. <laughs> it's never existed a man this great. Never. But this is what we would want. The ultimate leader and his type of leadership would bring God's blessings into our country. Chapter 30 tells of Job's woes. It tells how the people turned against him when he no longer had the power to do all the former things for him. It tells you what unsaved mankind is like. We see the conditional love of natural man. What have you done for me lately? My wife is getting old and now dragging my life down. Time to divorce her to find something better. That's what people do. That's unconditional love. It's terrible. It's horrible. I'm glad God isn't like that. Then we get to chapter 31 which reveals Job's heart in the matter with his God. Now, I'm not going to read this entire chapter, but it's, I, I want you to, to, to just read this. It's amazing, the claims that he makes. The amazing statements of pureness, not just in his acts, but in his heart and how he thought and his impeccable character. If ever there was a perfect man upon the earth... It would be Job. But his attitude becomes sharp and bitter in this chapter. We heard about that word bitter, didn't we? When you fail of the grace of God. He, like I talked about the age of the children reflected at this time, he is saying God is not there. He must not love me. He is not directly saying this, but his attitude is clearly communicating this. 
He ends the chapter with these words. In verse 40 of chapter 31, Let thistles grow instead of wheat and cockle instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. He says, Have it your way, God. And let me tell you, that was not a statement of your will, not mine. (laughs) He is saying, your will stinks, but what can I do about it? God then speaks to Job by His Spirit through a young man, Elihu, in chapters 31 through 37. He gives a sharp rebuke to Job and his three friends who spoke unadvisedly. Elihu is setting the stage for God to speak to Job directly. Elihu ends with these words in verse 23 of chapter 37. Touching the Almighty, we cannot find Him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. Men do therefore fear Him. He respecteth not any that are wise of heart. And at the end of Elihu's discourse, a storm comes. Everyone flees except for Job and God Himself to give the answer that Job is looking for. Why? This is recorded in chapters 38 through 41. He basically tells Job, (laughs) and I'll tell you what, it makes the hair stick up on the back of your head when you think about it. God meeting you and talking like he did to Job. He basically tells Job, who are you to judge me? He doesn't deal with Job and saying, you know, you say you're all this perfect and what sounded to us like, you know, it is kind of braggery, but it sounded like it's true. He wasn't going to argue Job with this. He He blows Job away by comparing his majesty His perfectness of His work in creation, which pales the work of Job, of what Job felt he was. God's answer to Job of why He would do such things to him was this. To bring Job to the end of himself. That God may break up the hardened ground that has become of Job's heart. That Job will be able to see God greater than he ever did before, that he may now begin to grow again in the grace and knowledge of his God. Remember the story of Jonah? He struggled like Job, didn't he? And God deals with him in in a similar way. He asks him, Dost thou well to be angry? The book ends on a cliffhanger. It never tells of Jonah would repent or not. But with Job, we know he repented and God accepted him and God gave him double of everything he had. And he gave him a long life. I'm going to run a little rabbit trail here because I just like it. (laughs) I believe the fifth commandment to honor our father and mother is the human reflection of complete honor and obedience to a heavenly Father that can make no mistake. That fifth commandment comes with a promise. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. When he repented and he gave full honor to God, it says Job had a long life. 
But there's one final thing that I want to share with you concerning Job. And it has to deal with God giving him double. Now, from what I understand, it would seem that Job's woes were of a relatively short period of time. It's been said, you know, maybe this is a year or so that he went through this. And you think of a lifespan, it's a fairly short time. Now, any financial advisor would tell you that doubling your possessions in that period of time <laughs> is an amazing return. Well worth it. But it says that he received seven sons and three daughters. Now, that's what he had before. Now, in natural man's thinking, you think God shorted him that in doubling, he should have given him 14 sons and six daughters. But we know God doesn't make a mistake, right? Patty asked me the question of what his... Wonder what the original children were like. Were they, were they saved? I believe they were. And I believe this is why God did double his children because he never lost the first set because they are in heaven where he will see them again one day. But that's not all of it. There's something else to gain here in this. Have you ever thought about this? I've thought about this. Because we're human and I put myself in this place, you can replace stuff. You can replace all the animals and all the things that he had, but you can't replace people with other people. It would not seem fair that God would not bring his children back from the dead. Would it? It doesn't seem fair. His children were no doubt his greatest loss. Those other children can't replace those. But wait a minute. God makes no mistake. We just learned that. That's what Job had to learn. How do we reckon this then? There's only one thing to me that makes sense. <laughs> that God has something for us in eternity that will make every situation and problem in this life seem so small and insignificant when we get to the other side. That we, by faith, can claim it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. Even to the loss of our most precious possessions in this world, our loved ones. Yes, we grieve in a human sense, but we know God makes no mistakes and by faith we can be healed. I once had an elderly man who worked for us at, at work who really struggled and just was bitter at God. If God was so great, why would He do this and why would He do that? And I pondered and I pondered. I said, Gene, I said, supposing I had a million dollars. I have a million dollars, and I'm going to give it to you if you'll let me take a pen and prick your finger and squeeze some blood out of it. Oh, yeah. Could it be, folks? That as bad as all this can be in this life, 
there's that much difference to what's ahead of us? And I said, yes. It's true. There's nothing in this world. We need to keep our eyes on that. We need to know He is perfect. He makes no mistakes. We can trust Him in all things, no matter what happens to us. No matter what the difficulties. We need to see Him as He is. And that's when Christ grows in us. I'll tell you what. You look across that street there. Look at that cornfield. I don't know. Maybe it's been a couple months since that's been planted in there. Look at what's there. I'll tell you what. There's God. We drive by stuff every day. We don't see God like we should. Or the idiots will try to come up with some explanation, some scientific explanation for that, a proof of that and how that is, and, and then start throwing billions of years and how that all kind of came to where it is now. Foolish, man. Growing in the knowledge of grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we need. But we come to a spot stop to grow. A lot of it's our pride, like Job. Job was the greatest man. There's no doubt. And I look and I started reading some of this. What a man. I'll never become that close to Job. But Job failed and he stopped growing. He wondered, why, God? I don't deserve this. But after he saw God, after God showed him himself, I'm sure Job was glad that God did. He repented. And God gave him twice of everything. And he's got something more to look for. He grew by leaps and bounds. That's how good God is. Even in the roughest things. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around. How has God spoke to you? That's what's important. He's your God. He's going to give each of you his own message. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows the sparrow that just fell over and died somewhere around here. <laughs> He's perfect. We got to watch that we complain. God's got it all in control. Where are you at in this? Where, what does this message, what does God want you to get out of this that will help you to grow? Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. What a God. We have got so much to learn more about Him. Let us be a church who just magnifies and pulls out the greatness and goodness, the perfectness of God. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Do business with God in your heart this morning. Thank you all for coming, and I pray the Lord, I trust the Lord has spoke to your heart, and you come out encouraged. He's given us this book of Job. My man, it's, a, it's an amazing book, amazing book. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. May we glorify you more in our hearts and life. That's what we were created to do. That's where we will be fulfilled in our life. Help us to see you in a bigger and greater way each and every day, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.